The Ohima Health and Wellness Podcast is a place created for people to share their experiences and lives that can include triggering and sensitive topics, such as different types of abuse, such as racism, sexism, substance abuse, classism, etc. The content in the podcast and on our webpage are not intended to constitute or be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your therapist or other qualified mental health professionals with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking it because of something you have heard on the podcast or on our website. We aim to create a safe and brave space that prides itself in the inclusivity of Black, Indigenous women of color. Thank you for your time and continued participation and support. Now let's get into the show. Our guest for today's episode is Sakile Satole. Sakile obtained her Bachelor of Science in Biology and is currently a library assistant in higher education. She's also a certified doula, aspiring midwife, and a beginner prison abolitionist. Welcome, Sakile, and thank you for joining us today. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I just want to say thank you to you and Mitra for allowing me to have the space to, to share my health and mental wellness journey. So yes, thank you. And I'm, I'm doing okay. It's a Monday, so you know how Mondays go. It's just a Monday. Mm-hmm. Just a Monday. <laughs> yes. We know exactly how that goes. Great. Thanks, Zach, for uh, sharing that. We actually were really excited for you to be um, on our podcast today, too. Um, so for our first question for you, what does your current health and wellness journey look like? Yes. Okay. So that's a great question. And it depends on the day. Um, there's days where my mental health is not the best. And then there's days where my mental health is the best. So it really depends on like how I'm feeling, how I wake up, how I spend my mornings. Um, it, it varies, I'll say. But what I will say is how I spend my morning does make a difference on how the rest of my day will go. So yeah, that's that's how it's it's going. I'll I'll put it to that way. Mm. So yeah. So do you have a consistent morning routine? You know what? (laughs) Now that I say about how I spend my mornings, I will be honest, it's pretty inconsistent. Um, There, I think it, what do they say? It takes like about 30 days Mm -hmm. to form a habit. And I never fully reached those full 30 days to make it into a full habit. Mm. So on certain days, I would, spend I'll put my phone on DND and I try to make sure that I don't go on social media because it's so easy to wake up and then go on your phone and like what's happening what's going on in the world because you know last year 2020 was a hell of a year like every month we had like something going on so I would always look to my phone and see what is happening and it came to the point where, um, I don't know if you guys have iPhones, but you know how you have those weekly reports Yes. and it will tell you like you spent, um, 
11% more on your phone this week than you did the previous week. And I'm like, dang, I really wow. need to, to get off my phone, but then I don't do it. Right. <laughs> I don't do it. And I think that speaks onto like my self-discipline and my self-control, but um, back to how I try to spend my mornings. I try to spend my mornings away from social media, mm-hmm. away from the phone. Um, I try to wake up early and I try to go to bed early. So, you know, if you wake, if you go to bed early, you wake up early, um, you feel like you get a lot things, a lot more things done. So I try to go to bed by 11, That I will be honest, that is a little inconsistent, but if I do go to bed early, I wake up around 6am and then what I try to do is stretch like a good five minute stretch. And then I would get up, brush my teeth, and then I do like some yoga. And I try to do like 30 minutes to an hour worth of yoga. Mm -hmm. And then um, I read the Bible. I read like the verse of the day or um, I try to read like inspirational quotes. Yeah. And then, um, and then I, 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 okay, it's a little silly, but I go to the mirror and I just smile at myself for a good few seconds and say, you look good, Sakila. Yeah. And I, I know it sounds that. really cheesy. No, it doesn't <laughs> sound cheesy. No, it doesn't sound cheesy it at all. It sounds a little cheesy, mm-hmm. but it works. Mm-hmm. How you talk to yourself is just so important, especially right. during quarantine. Mm-hmm. Like, you gain weight. You're not being productive Girl. as much as you want because you're always at home. You mm-hmm. feel like when you're at home, you feel like you have to be at the top. You have mm-hmm. to be really productive. And that's just sometimes not the case. I mean, we are in like unusual circumstances. I mean, this comes out in May. We're recording what in March? Yeah. And uh, 2021. And this time last year, this was the beginning of um, the mm-hmm. anniversary, technically, yeah. of mm-hmm. everybody having staying at home. Yeah. So when I reflect back, um, this is just this week, I reflected back on how much we've gone through within that year. And I realized that putting that pressure, the onus of being productive was too much pressure because I mean, we're, we're facing the world, the country is facing trauma as a whole from Mm -hmm. Trump's presidency, from all the tomfoolery of Mm -hmm. what, um, what the U S has kind of brought black and brown people. So um, I will say that making that difference in my morning routine definitely does put my mind at a better headspace. So, yeah. 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 Actually, when you were saying that, Sakila, I was thinking, I just recently had a conversation about how it's the anniversary of the pandemic, well, beginning Mm -hmm. and And we all kind of thought, well, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I think a lot of us thought like, okay, maybe this will last two weeks. Then we're like, okay, maybe it'll last a month. And then it's (laughs) like, wow, it's a fucking year later. And and it is traumatic. It's, it's collective trauma. And, and as we all know, like the body remembers trauma. And so I feel like a lot of folks right now are also just feeling it in their bodies like wow it's been a whole year like this you know so that's like super valid that you mm-hmm. brought that up mm-hmm. I actually legit thought that I was packing up my office like in my nine to five 
I was like, oh, I'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> this is just, you know, something small. And then yeah, I'm like, wow, it's been weeks. a freaking year. Like what? Right. You're right, Mitra. Right. Wow. Crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not even just talking about the pandemic and like, you know, trying to figure a routine, like, you know, you, I know you mentioned weight gain. Um, was, was there any hard parts of that, you know, process of that journey? Cause I feel like with mental health and wellness and just, or, or even just overall health and wellness, um, it's already kind of hard in itself just to be consistent, but during the pandemic, it was, um, very hard for some of us. And for some of us, it was easy too. Um, but was there like a hard part or an easy part of the quarantine life, um, for you in pertaining to your health and wellness journey? Yeah. Um, I, I want to say the hardest part of the quarantine was just trying to remain consistent and kind to myself. Mm. Um, that it, it also rem- was also hard to be self-disciplined right. and have some self-control because, you know, you're, you're working at home. I mean, your home is comfortable mm-hmm. before the quarantine. Well, we were working 40 hours a week. Monday through Friday, sometimes depending on how your work schedule is, mm-hmm. you you would leave for work for eight hours. I mean, for some, it might be more than eight, less than eight. And then you'll come back home, rinse and repeat. And it was such a weird transition in not going commuting to work because at the library, see, I work at a library and my shift is the evening shift. So I would work from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday and so 8 p.m. was when we closed the library so I was always used to to missing during a certain time of the day to hang out with friends because everybody gets off at like what 5 6 p.m. and they go to happy hour I would miss those times yeah um but when this quarantine happened we couldn't go anywhere and um mind you um I was I started um working as a CNA uh, well, not as a CNA, but I was getting my certification as a CNA and I was working on my um, re- uh, prerequisites for nursing school. Mm-hmm. And um, this was January of 2020. Um, I told all my friends, like, I won't be able to see y'all till April of 2020. So <laughs> these first three, yeah, I said, these first three months are going to be tough. So if y'all invite mm-hmm. me anywhere, I won't be able to come, but mm-hmm. I can't wait to celebrate and hang out with y'all in April and then within like (laughs) it just snowballed and all of a sudden I couldn't see any of my friends and um I was waking up at 5 30 a.m um nearly every day because I would go to clinicals every Saturday and Sunday from um from like 7 a.m to like 4 p.m and so and I was going to classes as well on top of working full-time so every day I was up at 5.30, I was out of the house by like 6, 7, and then I won't get home till 8 p.m. And so just think about how that was, I had no time for myself. Mm-hmm. I was always on the go, but I really enjoyed the structure of it because it helped me manage my time. Mm-hmm. But when the pandemic started rolling, um, I think February, towards the end of February, beginning of March, um, that's when things started getting really tense. I mean, tense within the nation and tense within my CNA school because they wanted us to, to keep working in the clinicals. And that was like a whole issue in and of itself on how I was only the black, black woman. I was essentially being targeted 
for um, offering my opinion on how I feel about our safety. Um, That's a whole nother story. But um, honestly, the hardest part was being consistent in the time management. Mm -hmm. But the easiest part was also giving myself some rest. Um, I think I really needed the rest. Um, You don't realize like how hard we work our bodies until like you have that burnout a little bit. And I, I wasn't burnout yet, but I felt like I was going to reach that point where I was having this adrenal fatigue. I was getting tired. Yeah. Um, cause I'm, I'm working so hard, um, only to be rejected by nursing schools, but I guess we'll get more into that later. But, um, it was just like a difficult time, but yeah, the, that was the hardest part, but the easiest part was definitely not commuting to work. I saved a lot of gas money. <laughs> I have not moved my car since March of 2020. <laughs> it says three sweeping days. But other than that, my car is collecting. <laughs> well, like, you see dirt, like, piling up. Like, you bloke. Like, you see the spiders. Like, that's how long <laughs> I have not, like, I haven't driven. And so, um, yeah, the easiest part was just um, not being able to commute and resting and um, saving money, <laughs> yes, saving um, gas money. So I will say saving gas money because um, that was I did a lot of food delivery. <laughs> <laughs> I eat my, I eat my money away. So um, DoorDash, <laughs> yeah, DoorDash, <laughs> Instacart. But it was needed back then because you know right. we're still in a pandemic. But yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that was the hardest and easiest part of quarantine for, for mm. me. I actually want to also bring up a point too that, um, and maybe you could talk a little bit more about, you said getting into nursing school. Um, and for those of you who don't know, nursing school is actually something that's really hard to get into. It's not easy. Um, they think, oh, med school's hard, try nursing because nurses need to literally know everything. So maybe Sack, maybe talk a little bit about that, but talk about the real mental health and physical health piece on that um, process. Right. So, like, so for those who are maybe even thinking about med- uh, nursing school or even med school or just in the health right. field. Yeah, I would love to talk more about like my nursing school um, application um, journey. Um, originally I was not wanting to be a nurse. I was actually studying, um, to go to med school. Um, specifically I wanted to be an OBGYN and, um, nursing at why I switched from med school to nursing was really because of like my politics, um, and how the medical community I mean it's also critique of the nursing community but how the medical community was very racist it's very racist actually not Mm -hmm. was but it's very racist Mm -hmm. and um it's a lot of western medicine influenced Mm -hmm. and I I like to to be more holistic in my care Mm -hmm. um more alternative healing more towards like my ancestral um past and how they used nature as a way to heal the body and you know in the U.S. um we felt it's a very we're huge on pharmaceuticals and a lot of um med school focused on on pharmaceuticals and that was not what I really wanted to focus on um I really wanted to focus on the holistic 
nature and medicine. And that's when I began to do some more research about midwifery. Um, but the nursing school um, journey is really difficult um, because A, um, everybody wants to go to nursing school in California. So, cause California is like the hot place. Everybody wants to come to California. We have great weather, great <laughs> food. I mean, I, it can be say, said about anywhere, but we have a lot going on in California and we're liberal. <laughs> we are a quote unquote blue state. So I really, quote unquote, that that's real. <laughs> yeah. Quote unquote, liberal, <laughs> liberal, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but it, I was so used to the rejections from medical school that I kind of got used to rejections from nursing school too. Um, which is funny because a lot of nurses quit last year because they were getting, um, there was a high transmission rate for a lot of nurses and they weren't being protected. And so it kind of exposed the, the medical and nursing community on how they treat their employer employees. Um, so the medical, the nursing school, application system has been a little annoying I will admit um because it's like y'all need nurses (laughs) like at the end of the day y'all need nurses there's a nurse shortage like just accept me already and let's get on with it um but nursing the journey to nursing school definitely taught me how to handle rejection um I feel like sometimes with uh, we don't handle rejection well. We think of rejection as negative. And the way I see rejection is more of like a redirection. Um, just because they said no doesn't mean you should quit. <laughs> I mean, the worst thing they should say is, is no. And um, they do say no, you just redirect, redirect. Um, I love that. I love that you, you think of it as a redirection and not a reject. That's like a really beautiful and good way to look at it. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I just have, we just have a negative connotation with re- rejection. Yeah. Um, we feel like rejection means that you're not worthy. Mm-hmm. We feel like when we associate with rejection, we feel like it's, it's, um, what's the word? Yeah, you just don't feel worthy when you're being mm-hmm. rejected. It takes a hit on your ego and your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And just because you got rejected does not take away from your self-worth. Right. It right. does not take away from what the work you put in. It just means that you take a step back, analyze, and then redirect yourself into the way that you want to go into so yeah, that's, that's essentially what um, my nursing school journey has been like. It's a lot of rejection, but I do think that there will be a lot of hope yeah. at the end of the tunnel and the reward will be so much more sweeter when I get accepted. Do you think you got to this realization quickly or was it kind of like a growth process? Like, was it like, oh, you know what, this is, you know, this right. happens, like it's a redirection. Like, was it like that instantly or was it like, honestly... Right. Um, it was slow. <laughs> mm. I didn't take reject. When I first got rejected from med school, I took that hard yeah. because I paid thousands of dollars. Like they'd be taking people's money. Have, mm-hmm. They really do. They really be taking these people like our money. And like, I'm already poor as it is. 
you know, I'm trying to pay these student loans. And on top of that, I, I want to pay for more education just to be rejected. I'm like, personally, to me, I feel like every person should get a voucher of some sort for applications. Like here's $200. Use these $200 to pay for your application. I know they have like fee waivers, but you have to meet a certain criteria um, to get those fee waivers. And I, I didn't meet those fee waivers. So I had to pay out of pocket. And I'm like, what is this? I'm a struggling postgraduate student trying to further my career. You're punishing me because I don't have the money. <laughs> it's trifling. It Very really trifling. Is. It really is. So trifling. But um, yeah, it, that it was a slow, it was a slow realization. And I think after like the fourth rejection from med school, I'm like, you know what? They said no. That's okay, Sakila. That is okay. Keep going forward with your journey. You know the reason why you're on this journey. God called you to this. Just keep fighting the good fit, uh, fight. And um, it doesn't take away from who you are as a person. It doesn't take away from your self-worth. Um, it is humbling. I <laughs> love it. You, you think you be like the shit, like this application and, you know, <laughs> you get a no and you're like, damn, it's like that. But it'd it be like that sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, it'd be like that. But you just have to realize that this no does, doesn't talk about how you are as a person. And, you know, we focus so much on ability right. rather than effort. Right. And I think um, I just had to remind myself, like, just redirect yourself to Kile and mm -hmm. it, your self-worth is is very it's not being taken away from this now so yeah great question guys yeah thank you for sharing that and I feel like that will be really encouraging to other folks who maybe have a hard time navigating rejection and maybe now they'll see it as a redirection yes right. <laughs> yeah so do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo? Yes. That's an important distinction. Not Pomona. Oh, she said I not know, Pomona. That's why I said. That's why San Luis Obispo. <laughs> I was like, San you already know. <laughs> right, right. I'm so glad you made that distinction because they're, so I know they're two very different schools with two very different vibes mm. um honestly I will say Pomona is probably the better Cal Poly than Ooh. San Luis Obispo especially in terms of like diversity because um mm. at Cal Poly black people weren't even a percentage and if they wow. were it would be considered other um wow. when I went to Cal Poly we were like less than a percent so you said potential yeah, Cal Poly slow. We were less than like, uh, less than a percent. I think there was like 300 black people, 300 students out of the 20,000 wow. uh, population. So you can imagine like how white this school is. It's very white. I mean, um, it, it was, it, my experience at Cal Poly, I will say, um, was really tumultuous. Yeah. Mm. Um, it was tumultuous. It was quite lonely. Um, cause mind you, you know, when you're 18, this is my first time moving away from home. 
and I was surrounded with nobody. And I was honestly excited to get away from home because, you know, home can be suffocating sometimes. We're going to be honest. I grew up with Um, her. I know what she's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it can be suffocating sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote my notes on this. But yeah, it, it honestly, it was, if it weren't for Cal Poly, though, I... I wouldn't be who I am today. It would wouldn't have shaped my politics, mm. my politics. Um, but I faced a lot of racism, a lot of racism on all levels at Cal Poly. Um, from I had, peer, oh sorry, oh no no yeah definitely from peers and from mm. faculty members. From faculty, wow. It it yeah it was I and honestly. Um, this is trigger warnings is like a little bit of like police intimidation, but I had an incident um, at Cal Poly. Um, so in my dorm room, um, they go based on majors and I was in the, like the science dorm, um, dorm room mm-hmm. and um, dorm building. And um, my roommates, we were the most diverse in that dorm building. It was a black person, a Hispanic person and an Indian person. Um, it sounds like a really bad joke when I say what happens when you have a black person, a Hispanic person, and an Indian all in the same room. It sounds like a really bad joke, but um, we were the most diverse. Like, and I was the only black person, and she was the only Hispanic, and my roommate was the only Indian in wow. that whole building. And um, our it was three two rooms, and our room it was on the first floor closest to the cafeteria closest to like the eating the eateries and um a lot of students smoke weed when they pass our our dorm room um mm-hmm. because our window it was hot so um I won't say my roommate's name but um my Hispanic roommate um she normally goes home on the weekends. she's like a really like sweet Christian girl and the one time she did decide to stay home, we, we got the cops called on us. Um, so what had happened was we were coming back from Bible study and we were getting ready to go to bed and uh, watch Zoolander. So we put on our PJs, got everything ready. Um, and mind you, our door, our window was open. And so, and this was like Friday evening, Friday night. So it was, it was popping on a Friday night, but we decided to stay in. Um, this is really important. Mm-hmm. So our white RA, this is a white woman, our white RA, mm-hmm. um, probably called the cops on my roommate and I, because she said she, she thought we were smoking weed in wow. our dorm room. So she called so the cops. She called the cops on us. And so as I'm lying in bed, you know how police knock? It's that boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. And we, we, yeah, it was very scary. We're like, the heck? What is going on? We just got back from Bible study. We're trying to watch Zoolander. Yeah. And I, I hear it's police. I say, what? <laughs> I looked at my roommate. I was like, did you do something? And we're like, I don't know. So I opened the door. I'm like, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And I see um, two female police two white female police officers and one male white police officer and then I see like my raggedy raggedy ass RA off to the side and I call her raggedy for many reasons um and so I'm like officer how can I help you 
And she was like, there's been a complaint. There has been um, weed uh, being smoked in this room. I said, weed? Where'd you get that from? And I see my RA, I poke my, my uh, head out the door and I see my RA just looking down. I'm like, we just got back from Bible study and we're trying to enjoy a movie. They're like, ma'am, we need to see if you've been smoking weed. I'm like, do you have a warrant? Wow. Can you come into our room? And the female police officer is like, we need to smell your hands. And so what? she just, yeah, she lifted up my hands and she's like, she's fine. And they were like looking at my eyes and they're like, she's fine. And they, this woman told me to move over. And my roommate was like, what is going on? So they, the female officer um, lifted up her hands and looked at her eyes and said to the two police officers, um, her eyes are red. She's the one that's been smoking weed. And I said, what? So I went berserk. I said, you don't have the right to come into our room and say that we've been smoking weed. I'm the only black student and she's the only Hispanic student in this dorm room and you target us. And I turned to my RA and I said, this is your doing. And the male police officer, the female police officer in our room closed the door and I hear my roommate bawling. And that's when I went even more crazy. And the male police officer grabbed my wrist and he said, you people always do this. You need <gasps> to calm down. Else oh, I will arrest you for disorderly conduct. And I was in a state of shock. I said, are you, and I started crying. I'm like, are you really trying to arrest me? I'm like, you are a white police officer targeting me, a black, a, a black girl. I didn't do anything. You're targeting me based off racism. You said you people. And he's like, you need to calm down. You need to calm down. I'm going to arrest you. And he was holding oh my, my wrist like pretty tightly. And then the female police officer was like, she's good. Let's roll out. And so I took a mental note of like the, the male police officer and I took a note of the female police officer as well. And after that, it was a little blurry because it, it was really traumatic. Yeah. So I cursed out my, the whole dorm heard about it because I was going around looking for my RA. I said, where, where is, where is so-and-so, where is so-and-so? Mm-hmm. and they're like what's happening I'm like I just got I got racially discriminated against mm-hmm. and so later on I remember my YRA came into our dorm and she was sitting on the floor crisscross saying saying that she's sorry but I said I told mm. her I said you and I will never be cool again Mm-mm. after that um I sent a complaint against her and they moved her to the second floor because she was on the first floor but I also filed a complaint against the white police officer and so at the time um when I filed my complaint at campus police um I started noticing a lot more police um presence and at first I was like why is there more police presence where I am so I started mm-hmm. getting a little paranoid and then I noticed one evening um this was like 11 40 p.m I was walking back from the library up this really tall hill back to my dorm room. And I see this police car just slowly following me up the hill, like following me. And this happened on several occasions. And sometimes I would see them and they would like stare at me. And that's when I knew like, 
I'm being intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> this is police intimidation. Mm-hmm. And it was going on for three months. And I would be so scared to go places because I'm like, what if I'm really in danger? And I called the police officer and the police officer dispatched with that person I or his friends and they might try to retaliate against me. So I went through a really heavy depression during that time because nobody understood what I was going through. People thought I was um, tripping. They thought like, it's all in your head. You're just being paranoid, Sakile. And I was kind of disappointed in the Black community um, at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo at that time because they didn't hold space for me. Um, I felt very alone and I couldn't even turn to the Black people who I thought I could turn to. So it was very isolating. And it wasn't until um, I dropped my complaint that I saw less of police presence. But at that moment, when I saw them following me and staring at me, that's when I knew, like, I, I can't I can't mess with cops anymore. I, I, I don't feel safe around them. And it was at that moment where I realized, I didn't realize that I was radicalized at that moment. Cal Poly San Luis Obispo was a turning point in my radicalization of who I am today. And it's the reason why I believe so heavily in the abolition of police, in the abolition of prison. Um, It really shaped how I see safety. And um, I don't want to turn this into like an abolition against, this is just like my politics. It doesn't reflect you guys, but it just made me realize like police are not meant to protect me. Mm. Police are meant to to speed up my death. <laughs> That's how I felt. I know that sounds very dramatic and that sounds, yeah, it sounds very dramatic, but at that moment I said, my life does not matter to them. My life does not matter to them, but um, I had to leave. And um, my mom was pregnant with my baby brother at the time. So it was also a great way to, to leave Cal Poly on that note. And ever since then, I never turned back. I never turned back to San Luis Obispo. And I'm so glad that I'm out of that environment because I don't know what would have happened to me if I continued to stay. I don't know if I would be here. I don't know. There's just so many factors that played into um, how I would, my mental health was trash (laughs) at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So, yeah. I know. Sorry, that was so heavy, y'all. <laughs> no, no sorry, don't apologize. Okay. Do not apologize. Well, that was pretty heavy, but yeah. and honestly, I want to say I do not think that is dramatic. I think that's valid that you felt yeah. that way. That was yeah. the message you were mm-hmm. getting. Yeah. You know, that's not dramatic. Uh, I, I definitely, in my opinion, it's not dramatic at all. That's real. That's real. And, and thank you for sharing that because that is very traumatic. And I hope you know, you sharing with us isn't, you know, I, I I just hope you're okay. You're feeling okay with sharing that. It's almost like reliving it again. (laughs) Cause I saw, I I called. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Zach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I called your mom actually Catherine that night and her mom was like, 
we need to go and pick her up right now. Like, like her mom is <laughs> like a real my mom. My mom is a bit of a fighter. <laughs> I love um, that. I love no, because we we also have a family friend that's a lawyer and has yeah. always stepped in for us when anything right. race, especially as kids growing up, racism. So we were at one point. I think the family wanted to get her involved, yeah. but then yeah. we were yeah. like, it was too much. Damn. Oh my. I wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That I think a lot of people need to hear that Mm -hmm. and understand, you know? Wow. Yeah. So I know you mentioned, Zach, you know, with everything that happened at Slow with trash people, um, (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I know also moving back home after Slow was an interesting time for you. Um, Do you want to speak a little bit on that? I think, you know, being an adult and moving back home, some people feel weird about it um, or like have certain feelings, maybe good, bad, but what was your experience and how did it impact your mental health specifically? Right. Um, Moving back home is hard. It's, you know, it was super difficult because you're so used to like, independent living and so when you go back home it's their house their rules mm-hmm. and I think a lot of um I don't want to just say immigrant children but it's a lot true. of kids, immigrant children you can say it <laughs> yeah, you I'll, can I'll say, say it. we're all we're all, <laughs> we're all children of immigrants yeah. immigrant children <laughs> crazy ass parents doing it's the like, right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> like this is my like, house like I'm a Right, it's their house, their rules. <laughs> like, so where are you going? Bit. It's only eight o'clock, mom. I'm going to the store. <laughs> right, you have to give them your friend's number, their address, mm-hmm. like, and there's a double standard today. too with the men and the women in the house. But Girl. we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> right, all of that and above. Like it, it's it's what I try to move out. It was a ugly fight. Um, they oh, threatened yeah. to take away my car, my phone, just because I said that it's best for my mental health. Because when you live so independently and then you come back home and you have to live under mm. someone else's rules, mm. it's <laughs> right. It's it's not feasible. Mm-hmm. You either mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like, do I take my mental health or do right. I? right do I save money and I it's like I That's your real. mental health is not worth it <laughs> if it costs your mental health that's when you realize like and that's that's the thing that parents need to understand immigrant mm. parents ever listen mm. listen to this podcast mm. listen to your children <laughs> listen to your children listen to listen your children, to your children. <laughs> adult children you know it's not like that to your adult we children like, it's not mm. like we hate you or anything, but I right. find that sometimes your relationship is a little better when you have a little distance between them, you know? Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's that magic word of boundaries <laughs> that are so right. hard. <laughs> so hard to with, set with mm-hmm. an immigrant parent. Like, it is so hard. I... I empathize. I relate. I feel you. It's, 
<laughs> yeah, it's difficult. I think, you know, mm-hmm. I, the way that I approach it is I'm like, okay, how will this, what I'm about to relay be best received mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say which parent it is, but um, <laughs> uh, by this parent of mine. Um, and, you know, mm. I try to, I try to do it that way. And I, I really have to make peace with the fact that, you know, it's not always received well, but like you said, mm. if it is affecting your mental health in a negative way, it ain't worth it. There's gotta be, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's not because that's detrimental. Everything's connected, physical health, mental health, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's fucking up the whole system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I actually remember that time, that point, cause I was living at home, but I was in grad school and Sikile was, she had, she has a full-time job was like working mm. to go to nursing. Like she was like, it wasn't just like, Oh, she's just home. Yama, yama. She was actually like <laughs> doing, like doing stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole family meeting and all the women, you know, in our family, it's the women, the men, <laughs> the women. Okay. They take control of everything. And I remember just thinking like, this is ridiculous. Like Sakila is grown. She's not like, you know, young. We were in our mid to late twenties. Like, right. why is this an issue right now? Like, why, like, why? And right. we fought you fought with them I, I think I didn't oh, even talk oh, to my mom both of you wow yeah yeah I, I don't talk to my mom when that happens and she's if she hears this mm, well <laughs> <laughs> but, I know right I'm like yeah. uh I'm like I'm not gonna say which parent when when everyone knows my dad's Persian <laughs> <laughs> my my mom doesn't even know about this podcast I'm actually curious if this is universal, but I was talking to another Mm. friend of mine about this and she was like laughing with me about it. And so I feel like a lot of immigrant parents, their way of like apologizing is like feeding us or like come eat or come eat dinner or here's some fruit. I cut up some fruit for you. Here's some fruit. And it's like, (laughs) an apology would be nice. Right. My mom doesn't even apologize. Like my dad, yes, okay, but he doesn't really do anything wrong. So, but my mom, it's like she'll call and just ask about something. Especially now right, that I live far away. Their, oh, so Catherine, how is Chris? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. Do you want some mangoes? <laughs> I have some oranges from the tree. I'm like, girl, what? <laughs> we were just fighting. Like, they act like nothing Wait, ever what? happened. Yeah, right. I was like, "Is this amnesia?" Like, (laughs) what? Right. Anyway. Oh man, that's so funny. But yeah, they they that's apologize to your kids' parents. If you listen to this, don't underestimate the power of an authentic and sincere apology. Right. It's just like. It makes a world of a difference. And that's like the type of parent I hope to be. It's like when I, my kid communicates with me that I did something that they don't like. Yeah. I hope to, yeah. to take myself out of like my perspective and put myself in their shoes. And I realized I could just simply apologize because they're also human. Mm-hmm. I know parents are human and sometimes 
some people hold their parents to a higher esteem but sometimes that I feel like some parents need to understand like we all have our own brain y'all have our own way of thinking and um a little respect would be nice just how I feel and respect the man. I want to sing the song, but I feel like it's going to be too much into the mic. <laughs> I am Oh my God. Well, I'm, I, I, that was fake singing. That was fake. That was fake singing. That was a real sing it, for, sing it for real. Sing it for real. Okay. <clears throat> R-S-P-C-T. What do it means to me? <laughs> I don't mind. I, I'm more of a Tony Braxton. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. I'm more of a Tony. I'm more of Tony. I'm My sister tells me that she's like, you're more of a Tony voice. I'm like, okay. I'm like, please oh, have me snorted. Oh, my God. What I love right now that nobody can see is the way you're holding that, the, the <laughs> headphones. Okay. Why? <laughs> oh, my God. Like you're I'm really screaming. in a recording studio right now. <laughs> I've done it before. If I'd known, I would have drank some oh, lemon water. Oh, oh man. He's so But yeah, R E S P E C T. My respect. Auntie Aretha really knew. Mm-hmm. That's a word right mm-hmm. there. That That's a word. Rude. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, if any immigrant parents listen they probably will be like oh look at these children but it's real <laughs> it is real oh, we love and respect our immigrant yes. parents yes we, we do we do we do this is more just thing. a it's mm-hmm. all love it's, it's all, all love, love. You, you gotta hold the people you love accountable you know yes. right so, just some constructive criticism <laughs> that <Right>. part <laughs> uh y'all haven't met my mom anyway <laughs> i love you auntie <laughs> yeah we love you um but girl anyway is she gonna uh, be listening to this chat? no she doesn't even know i'm doing this she, like the other day i was trying to explain to her what a podcast was she was like so is this on the radio i'm like no mom it's not on the, it's an app it's like what do you mean an app can i what can i fight i'm like you know what <laughs> oh no. she wants to, she's gonna be a listener no she doesn't know <laughs> She doesn't know. And if she does, um, whoops. <laughs> She'll be okay. That's so funny. But um, anyway, I guess our I because we're coming to a close pretty soon. Um, so we wanted to know, um, based off of everything you've told us, kind of your journey with your mental health and wellness and just even overall physical health and wellness, what is your motto in life? What do you what do you use to keep going? That's a great question. Um and I thought about this and it always leads back to the people. Um, mm. So my motto for life is um, I'm in the business of helping people. Mm. Um, every time I remind myself that it reminds me that there are less privileged people mm. out here um, in this capitalistic mm world in this nation honestly in the U.S. and poverty really we don't under we under I I don't know if we underestimate it but poverty capitalism just plays a huge role in our mental health right I mean if you look at how we're trying to open up so quickly a lot of lives were lost to COVID and I I I'm in a position 
of helping. I'm and I'm in a position where I can actually help people. Mm-hmm. And I I'm a doula and I'm an aspiring midwife. And I really want to bring midwifery care, low cost to no cost midwifery care and doula care to to the less fortunate. Um and I don't even like using that term because it's just colonialist. Yeah. To the to um to those who don't who live in poverty essentially. Because yeah. even mental like having a therapist, I go through open path collective. Mm. Um and I do wish that therapy was a lot more accessible, but I also know like therapists also have to eat. Yeah. <laughs> like mm. it, it's just like this really terrible like balance like it's like you want to offer free care and you try to but you also Mm. have to feed yourself as well and so that's what I'm having a little difficulty with I can see me and I talk about this all (laughs) the time (laughs) this is like our number one conversation (laughs) to my soul right now like it's real capitalism and that's why I'm so into abolition because when I see of how when we abolish capitalism abolish the wealth gap abolish police and prisons you realize a lot of these black and brown communities have a heavy police presence but they're also the poorest and you know prison also thrives off of capitalism because Mm -hmm. of like the whole cat I mean that's a whole nother another issue and if y'all want to learn more about abolition I have a lot more resources on it um but I realized that what people really need is money what people really need is help yeah what people really need is preventative care Mm. and if I can provide some type of alternative holistic preventative way for them going back to the doctor's office because if you don't have health insurance those medical bills are ludicrous there's they're I don't want to say crazy because that's ableist they're they're wild Mm. and so I I do hope in the future um I work hard so I can offer my services to the community um that's why I became a I became a dualist I can offer my services for free to the less for uh to um lower income people um so when I say I'm in the business of helping people I'm in the business of building sustainable ways to build a community because at the end of the day um people are not meant to be alone they're not it's not sustainable it's not you need community you you need community to heal and that's what I realized um Healing is not meant to be alone. Healing is meant to be with other, it's meant to be with community. You can't heal by yourself. You can't heal as a lonely island. You need that community to help you. And um, when I, I hope in the future, I can also help imprison people, mm-hmm. um, especially pregnant imprisoned people. Um, and the reason why I try to be inclusive is because, you know, gender is on a, on a spectrum. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And so I try to be inclusive of everybody. Um, so yeah, my motto is I'm in the business of helping people. And that just keeps the fire going because it's hard to heal when you have constant trauma thrown at you. Mm. If it weren't for Catherine, it weren't for our family, if it weren't for people in my life, I, I don't know how, I'm going to be honest, I don't even know if I would be here, mm. honestly. So I do think building your community, those who you find community with and who you trust and who you feel like you can lean on and be honest with and heal with, I think it's so important as a community. So yeah, it's my motto. <laughs> I love that. It's, and I agree with you, Sakila. It's so important. Community is, is everything. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, just every, I just mm-hmm. basically everything you said, yes, a big yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All of it, just all of it. I was, I know you saw, like, I was just really feeling when you were talking about mental health as a therapist, I'm just like, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, I'm so glad so, yeah. you are a therapist. Like, oh. it's so important to find people yeah. that also look like us and who, who we can confide in, yes, who um, we can, like, who gets us. Because yes, <laughs> I, right. I know there's some fantastic white therapists, but mm-hmm. there's a level of it's, there's a level of disconnect. Nice, nice. <laughs> I have not found that yet. No offense to all the white people listening. I have not found that yet. It took a good like six months before I found my current therapist. And I was like, and she's a sister. I told y'all. <laughs> it's so important. And that's why I'm so happy. Like even Josie, I, I know she'll be featured later, but I'm so glad that she is pursuing therapy. Um, because we do need people that look at, like us to help us. I mean, and, and I don't just, think a white woman mm-hmm. could relate. Mm-hmm. Nope. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And and just to mm-hmm. know, we also need to take care of our own, right? Our therapists, our social workers. I was actually having right. a conversation. Um, um, I think actually with Mitra, but then I was, you know, there's a couple different therapists. Um, one of my really good friends here in Sacramento um, has one of her best friends is also a social worker and therapist. My sister, Josie, who will be featured is a therapist, Mitra, Hey girl, therapist. Um, <laughs> and I hear like, you know, that constant, like, just, they're always giving, 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 and even right. just those in the medical field, right? So sad, you being a doula, working to be a midwife, just, it's always, it's always like you give, give, give. And even honestly, as an educator, I feel like that's all I do is give, but I think those who are in mental health, it's a bit more, it's increased by a notch, but you always right. give, give. And so we really need to take care of our own too, right? Right. Um, and make sure we check in with those who are in the field who look like us because they also need to be checked in on. They also need mm. to feel the love, you know? It's not always like, I think sometimes in our community, we always want to receive, um, but those who really give, they're burnt out. They're tired too. Mm. So we need to, we need yeah. to give back. So that's a very yeah. good point, Sakile, that you made about those of those of you who are in the mental health field, um, in the, or just in the you know medical health field in general. Like that, that is a real mm-hmm. need too. But um, right, yeah, so important. It's so important. and they need to be compensated 
Well, too, I see these white collar CEOs who don't do a damn thing. And I nope. see therapists, teachers, social workers mm, yeah. out here in the trenches and not being compensated the way you should that talk they about senior affairs to professionals too, because we do the most. Yes. <laughs> Educators, students. Student affair professionals, y'all put a lot of labor and that labor is not reflected yeah. in the paycheck. In the paycheck. And that's a mm-hmm. huge, huge issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, that's why I say abolish capitalism, but you know, people just don't, they, they, it's going to take time to get there, but I, mm-hmm. I just, it's just not conducive. That's why so many people are in prison because they don't have the proper mental health resources either. And then we don't properly also prep the mental health professionals with the resources that they need. It's just huge. It's, I'm just dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. But yes, thank you, Mitra. And thank you, Catherine, Aww. for doing the work that you guys do. Thank you. And people's lives. I mean, it's so important what you guys do. And you, y'all make a huge difference. Oh, so thank so do you. you sex. So do you. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. But yeah, exactly. What's what Kat's saying? So do you. And it, it, it's interesting because I was actually talking to somebody about it recently. And I was saying that I feel like folks think that, you know, people who are in helping professions, like they're like, oh, you should just want to give and you shouldn't want no, to receive not all the time. in return. And it's like, what, so we just are supposed to deplete ourselves and we don't deserve to refill. You know, I don't understand that mentality, but I've noticed that a lot of folks are like, well, you're in a helping, you know, career. Don't you just want to keep giving? (laughs) And it's like, of course, that's why we choose this. But that doesn't mean that, you know, I I always go back to that saying, like, you don't have to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. And yeah, it feels like a lot of times that that folks expect that. And I feel like a lot of times they especially expect it from like femmes and femmes of color. Like we're just here to just give it all and not get anything in return. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. So you made me think about that because I just recently had a conversation about, you know, what people assume about folks and helping professions. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's trifling. Mm-hmm. That burnout can be very real sometimes. Yeah, very, like, very real. That, that's why I said like adrenal fatigue, not being able to mm. be well rested. It's it's also a huge problem. So yes, I I. I full heartedly hear everything. Yeah, I just want to thank all the therapists and all the health professionals, all the educators, all the essential workers, honestly, out there. Yeah. Like, y'all really just we're, are holding down support. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Sakile, for joining us today on our um, episode. Um, is there any place that we can find you? If not, that's okay too. We'll just take this part out. <laughs> but is there any place where we can find <laughs> you? Or um... <laughs> yes, um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is k k a y sack s a k one four one. I normally don't post anything like post wise, but I do post a lot of my Instagram stories. So mm, yes. Okay. Well, thank you, Sikile, for joining us um, and join us next time for our next episode.
Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, I'm done.